This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth managers who go above and beyond to guide and support you. CanDo is more than just an attitude. It's navigating today for a brighter tomorrow. Visit CanDoWealth.com. Hello and welcome to Coffeehouse Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Katie Balls and I'm joined by Fraser Nelson and Paul Goodman of Conservative Home. So it's shaping up to be a big week when it comes to Boris Johnson's future. Tomorrow we have the Privileges Committee appearance over Partygate and I can tell you now there will be a live blog on the Spectator website to take you through every twist and turn of the full four hours. Ahead of that, the Prime Minister's evidence, uh, which was released yesterday to the committee, but was not published immediately to the upset of Boris Johnson's biggest supporters, has now been made public. The Prime Minister says that he did mislead MPs with his comments on party hate, but he did not do so intentionally or recklessly. Fraser, in advance and over the weekend, we've had lots of noise from allies of Boris Johnson about bombshell texts that would clear his name. Looking over the evidence, which has come out just before we started recording, it doesn't feel as though there is anything particularly bombshell. It's more what he wasn't told. Yes, and whether he could plausibly deny any knowledge of these parties. And, you know, anybody who knows Boris knows when he was editing this magazine, he could plausibly deny knowledge of the own lunches that he organised. He just not doesn't tend to stay on top of these things. Sometimes he wouldn't turn up for these lunches despite being the host. So this is his modus operandi. And I find this, the, the trial of Boris Johnson, as it effectively is, rather strange because I don't... It's like he's had his punishments. He has been found guilty of having these parties in um, number 10 while all his staff were ordering the rest of us not to do so. He's had his punishments and that he's left office. He's no longer a prime minister. He's an ex-prime minister. And now he's having the trial over what seems to me to be a bit of a technicality, whether he knew or whether he not, whether he misled parliament. Now, sure, I get it. It's supposed to be the worst thing you can do to mislead parliament. But I find this... Um, all very strange because we know he did something very wrong. He paid for that with his job. Of course, what is really going on here is that this will create a pretext which could be used to expel him from Parliament. If he's found to have reached the guidelines and the committee votes for a 10-day suspension, this opens the door to him being um, exposed to a by-election and to being cast out. If you're Labour, this suits you because, um, of course, who doesn't want to see a Tory Prime Minister, ex-Prime Minister being shafted yet again? And if you're a Tory, this might actually be quite good as well because Boris has got a few enemies out there who believe that for as long as he's breathing around Parliament, he might come back like Napoleon and Elba. For as long as there's life in him, he might find a way of getting back to number 10. So this is their way of driving a stake through his prime ministerial heart. Paul, I wondered for listeners, if you think back to when this inquiry was first set up, Boris Johnson was prime minister. Can you just remind us how, how we got to this point? Because ultimately Boris Johnson was accused of misleading parliament. And number 10 tried to fight this, uh, this when it was put down about the idea of how of it going to the Privileges Committee. I think the long and short of it is that you've got to bear in mind um, what Fraser has just been trying to describe um, in reference to Boris Johnson's attitude to the truth. And I can feel that the best way of putting it isn't that Boris Johnson is a liar, I would hesitate to say that, but the truth fundamentally is something that bores him. He really lives in the kind of world of poetry and metaphor and simile. And so the question really at stake here is whether or not in the Commons 
he really sort of owned up when he could or should have owned up, and whether he could simply have said, as Owen Patterson failed to do, as what finished Owen Patterson, could it finish Boris Johnson? He just sort of said, look, I messed up, I'm terribly sorry. Because he didn't do that. We're in this very peculiar situation where I feel on the one hand, the the establishment with a capital E, capital e are taking him out behind the bicycle shed and beating him up. And it's not fundamentally, as you might think, because of Brexit. I mean, after all, some of the people on the committee who are judging him are Brexiteers. Bernard Jenkins is a Brexiteer. It's somehow that this guy is an offence against the code. And we're going to take our revenge for him offending against the code. But he himself has... To my mind, I, I confess, I've not sifted through all the evidence and really thought this through from A to Z, but it seems to me he has somehow talked himself into this trouble by not being fully candid about it. And because of this cussed streak in his character, not thinking about what's tactically best for him, what's strategically best for him, and just owning up. And when we're looking, I suppose, to the eventual politics of that, before we get there, we will have um, what some are calling a show trial, but televised Boris Johnson giving evidence. Now, Fraser, what we've been seeing over the weekend and, uh, you know, just in terms of the messaging from Boris Johnson's supporters is an attempt not, I think, just to try and influence the committee, but to win the court of public opinion. And it feels as though Boris Johnson is therefore trying to prepare for a situation where the committee might come up for a punishment, but he can uh, start to whip up uh, his natural supporters to say that is a very unfair punishment. Do you think we're going to see tomorrow a situation where the MPs are criticised as much as Boris Johnson for their style of questions? I would be surprised. I mean, it's for anybody to defend Boris Johnson in the circumstance is a, is a bit of a stretch, really. I mean, we know that he was um, guilty of a lot more than he is being charged with um, right now. The fact whether he misled Parliament or not, to my mind, is pretty low down. The list of offences he committed over lockdown, any of which would have been enough to have deserved him to be removed from, from number 10. The thing is, it is, of course, this is politicised. This is a device for the Labour Party to pin this yet around the neck of Rishi Sunak. They're very concerned right now that Sunak is succeeding in presenting himself as a fresh start, as somebody very different from Boris Johnson. And what Labour makes sense for them to do is to say to the voters, look, and forget about Sunak, look at the Tory party, look how awful they are. And unless you've forgotten about Boris Johnson, let us remind you again and again and again. If I were leader of the Labour Party, that's exactly what I would do. So the Tories will know that there is a large part of politicisation here. But then again, it's hard to claim that this is, you know, um, illegitimate in any way. Uh, Rishi Sunak himself has said that, look, Parliament will do, will take whatever steps it needs to do. It's important that the government doesn't seem to criticise Parliament when it's trying to exercise the authority and discipline over what happens. So I think it would be unwise. In fact, it might even make things worse for Boris Johnson for any of his allies to say that this is that this is a show trial, that he's innocent, etc. I could be in the minority in regarding it as a technicality, whether he his words technically misled Parliament, because we know that he effectively misled Parliament. Whether he intended to or not, um, I think doesn't really matter. Paul, what does a good result look like for Rishi Sunak here? There are some who say oh, it'll be fantastic for the Prime Minister if uh, you know his his biggest potential rival is no longer in the Commons, but it might not work out like that. The two views, really. I mean, one is um, it'd be great for Rishi Sunak if Boris Johnson's suspended for more than 10 days, there's a petition of recalls by-election, 
off he goes. And after that, you can, because you're the leader of the Conservative Party, you control the list, you can ensure he's not selected the end of your problem if of course you're still there after the election that is that's one view another view would be that this would be quite incredibly divisive and there's a particular element here that might be really tricky for Rishi Sunak which is how do you vote if you are I don't know Alistair Jack if you're in the cabinet but you were a long time Boris Johnson lawyer how do you vote if you were Suella Braverman and you're trying to show a bit of leg to the members who on the whole are very sympathetic if our con home survey this morning is anything to go by who are basically quite sympathetic to Boris Johnson in his plight. Can you tell us about the survey Paul? Yeah absolutely um, we asked five questions I thought the result we got back was, was really interesting so we asked these, these are from Tory party, these party, Tory party, party, party members we asked we got a response of about 600 in a day and it's very interesting the first question we ask is Right. Did he break the rules? Yes. Did he deliberately mislead Parliament? No. Is the are the proceedings fair? No, they're not. Should he be a candidate at the next election? Yes, seventy three percent. Right. Sounds great for Boris Johnson. Then you ask the final question. I thought was the really interesting one, which is, do you want him back as leader before the next general election? No. It's only twenty two percent. So what I drew from all that was a kind of question, which is, you can hear the dogs barking. Is the caravan moving on for Boris Johnson? And the view of the members. Well, we're sympathetic. We think he's being set up. We don't really ever think he should have gone. But if you're asking us, do we really want him back? Do we want the parties? Do we want Barnard Castle? Do we want all that over and again? Actually, at the moment, we don't, thank you very much. And so I felt that I heard the bell tolling a bit for Boris Johnson in that survey, even though more of the responses were good for him than bad. Fraser, to Paul's point, Rishi Sunak's clearly had a pretty good month uh, in the sense of approval ratings going up. There was one poll yesterday, though there are plenty of other polls, suggesting that the Labour lead is now a mere 10 points. And you have a situation, as per the Con Home poll, where it seems as though this idea of Boris mania is, is not where the membership and and also where MPs are at the moment. But this is a week which has potential bad news in more than one place, and the other area is on the Windsor framework. So after Rishi Sunak unveiled that deal, it definitely gave him a boost, and you didn't have lots of people coming out against it. Up until, I think, Monday, it was only Boris Johnson who was against the deal. But we've had the European Research Group meet today. That's after the DEP said they would unanimously vote against the framework. And they have ultimately released their report, their legal findings. And it's pretty, I think critical in the sense that saying the winds says the stormont break is something which um is almost not practical in use and it goes through why it doubts uh, several of rishi students claims point by point yet they will meet again tomorrow to say how they will actually vote when it comes to the deal does that suggest the erg are trying to draw out their moment in the sun or is something else going on the erg are a difficult bunch i'm not even sure they act as a block anymore um, it's uh, because you've got like Steve Baker for example normally their spokesman who is who's pro this deal it's hard to it's hard to predict but this certainly does make um, things dif- more difficult for the prime minister only yesterday morning Katie you and I were discussing whether we should cover the magazine on springtime for Sunak the idea being that things were going reasonably well for him that um, uh, his I mean, it's important to remember what the Sunak project is 
It is to, first of all, keep a coalition in the Tory party, many of whose factions um, don't like him. He's mindful of keeping them all happy. Secondly, to show the public that he is a man who under-promises but over-delivers. Now, the under-promising was quite evident from his lacklustre leadership campaign, which ultimately led to his defeat. But whether he over-delivers or not can only really be said through his achievements. And recently we've had a fair run of them. We've had the um, this Northern Ireland deal, which he managed to get the king involved in, call it the Windsor deal, uh, Windsor Agreement. Then we've had, the, there was a, he was in San Diego last um, Monday delivering the AUKUS Agreement. He's had a budget which went reasonably well. Then there was his quite deft handling of the SVB collapse, um, where we managed to, Britain managed to get that sold off without any fuss. So you can see a pattern here of Sunak over delivering, consistent with his his message. And that's when, of course, you get this opinion poll showing that his lead from Labour has gone from 20 points to only 10 points. And this is a Tory party which I think can survive. I think, Paul, remind me, well, how, how many points can the Tories be behind and still win the election? Well, Labour, it's the other way round in my mind. <laughs> the figure I remember is Labour's going to be about 14 points ahead mm. to have a majority, all other things being equal, which they never are. So we can have a situation where the Tories are 14 points behind Labour and they still deny Labour a majority. 12 and, and Parliament's yeah. hung. Yeah. So the opinion polls need to be seen in that light. The target isn't to beat Labour. The target is to deny Labour a majority or at least to, to get into governments. In which case, if you're at 10% at this point in the cycle, 10% point behind Labour, then it is conceivable that we will get another term of Sunak after the election. Now, of course, Katie, our springtime for Sunak thesis... Um, It's on on ice. Well, it was on ice when we heard about the DUP, right? Because he could have realistically hoped the DUP would abstain from this. But when they decided to come out against it, I thought, okay, this is a significant setback. The whole deal would depend, of course, on getting Stormont back up and running. And in Northern Ireland, you don't just need a majority of people supporting something. You need a majority in both communities. It's still unclear whether the Windsor Agreement is going to win the majority support of both communities. Therefore, it's not, not quite the victory it was looking as being when Steve Baker came to give it his benediction um, two or three weeks ago. Though I would say on that, I do think the DEP coming out against it is definitely a blow for number 10. But you've also had, for example, the Ulster Unionist Party saying, you know, this is an important stepping stone on necessary changes to the Northern Ireland Protocol. And the language from the DEP hasn't been full opposed mm. opposition. I think the DUP have um, said they recognise it makes improvements. Exactly. So so you never quite know. There's lots of reasons that power sharing at Stormont isn't currently happening. Now, the protocol is a big factor in that, but it's not the only one. So I, I think it is one where it's still not... It still doesn't feel that the Windsor framework has been a, a ne- well, the D- negative. The DUP D- D- is quite divided about it, yeah. uh, and it's possible that they'll go back in, in in the summer. But this takes us back to an element of the discussion about the... Um, protocol revision that was actually going on before the deal, which was, does the DUP have to go back into government for it to be a success for Rishi Sunak? Because part of what he's trying to do is establish this pattern of normal, competent government. So you do Section 35, you do the protocol, you have better relations with Macron, you do the boats, you go off to to America and sign the the triple defence agreement with um, the Australians, the Americans. You come back and you sort out the um, Silicon Valley Bank. You know, there are sort of series of things that look pretty competent. You're trying to wash the old regime out of your hair. The Boris Johnson hearing's part of that. The Nadim Zahawi business was part of that. The Dominic Raab decision, 
we've yet to have will be another element of, of getting all that out of Rishi Sunak's hair. And then maybe, just perhaps, this poll won't be an outlier and you will be back in the game. And by the way, Paul, who would you say are Boris Johnson's main allies nowadays? I think one of the reasons why the ERG revolt may be smaller than it would have been in the last parliament is this sort of sense of everything moving on a bit. So he's sort of got his sort of stalwart supporters in parliament, the Nadine Dorries, the James Dundridge, the Jake Berries and so on. Nadine? But, no, but I think it's part of the it's part of the legacy from the Boris Johnson period mm. was that uh, you know Richard Sunak has to form his cabinet, looks around, thinks who have I got, who can't I leave out? And he's sort of largely forming a cabinet, well partly forming a cabinet based on what he had before. So actually to be fair, Dominic Robb is his choice, someone who supported Sunak during the leadership election. But Nadim Zahawi, I feel, is sort of more of a part of the leftover from the Boris Johnson era. So Sunak's trying to sort of get rid of all that, concentrate on delivering some sort of successful government, and hope that the opinion polls turn and that his MPs give him credit for it, and he doesn't have a leadership challenge in the spring and summer. Paul, just a final thought from you there. Obviously, we're speaking ahead of this. Do you think it's more likely than not that Rishi Sunak does avoid the, a leadership challenge at this point? It, it's at this particular moment, it's more likely than not that he won't have a challenge, um, particularly since we have the, the coronation immediately after the local elections. Quite, that will quite. Wipe just coincidentally, <laughs> right, is, is, is going to help him. But yeah, once you, again, you, the king coming to the rescue, as with the Windsor framework. Yeah, I have to, I have to say, I thought it has just amazed me, right, that the palace and the government got away with that to the extent that they did because uh, you know the king put himself right in the middle of what domestically is a very controversial political decision I thought it would cause far more trouble than it did and frankly it's rather a bad omen for the future thank you Fraser thank you Paul and thank you for listening mm-hmm.